Welcome to Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people at Summit Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We gather each week in the heart of St. Paul on historic Summit Avenue, where our mission is to create rhythm, opportunity, and location where people like you can have life-changing experiences with God. Our podcast is one of those locations. As followers of Christ, we are doing our best to be on mission, disciple others, deliver hope, and champion this city. At any point in your journey with us today, if you want to take a next step or you just want to stay in the loop with everything going on at Summit, just grab your phone and simply text the phrase, be known, all one word, be known to the number 651-360-2908. We will send you a short form that makes it super easy for you to complete. There's always new opportunities to mention and new ways that you can get involved. One of the rhythms that is important to following Jesus and important to us at Summit is studying scripture. As we study the Bible, we can have one, hope, two, find guidance, three, be corrected, and four, receive truth into our lives. Listen in and lean in with us wherever you are, open up God's word, and hear this week's message. A series of, of the book of Daniel, and so if you do not have our podcast, uh, Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people of Summit Church, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, you can probably find it. It'll get you up to speed. We're in a series of the book of Daniel, chapter by chapter, and they kind of build on each other. And so I don't want to spend too much time on review, but I do want to just kind of highlight a couple pieces. But I also want to make sure you know that that resource is there for you. If you're ever traveling this summer, you're going to miss church. But you should never miss church. I'm just kidding. It's okay. I get it. That's why we got it. Just so you're uh, in the know when we're in a series. Um, chapter 1, you need to know that we're becoming more like Babylon. The world that we are in, the city that we occupy, we're becoming more and more like Babylon. Babylon, arguably, than any other time in our human history. You need to understand we will and we have people in power that do not fear God, as in they do not honor God. They don't keep his commands. They're not worried about the creator of the universe. They're worried about their own universe. God is sovereign then and there in Babylon, and what I want you to know is God is sovereign here and now in St. Paul. Can I get an amen? If you think like a captive, eat like a captive, drink like a captive, you will be what? In captivity. You will be a captive. That's how it works. We got to be careful what we consume from what Babylon produces. Because if you eat and think and drink like Babylon, metaphorically, into your soul, then guess what you become? A captive of Babylon. And it is slow and it's compromise a little at a time. You must consume things that bring life. I, you, we must consume things that bring life. You have been divinely set up. Canadaroods, Colstocks, um, Shreya and David. I could go through the list of every single family and every single person in this place. You've been divine set up. God has you at Summit for a reason. You're supposed to be here. You can never leave. <laughs> Chapter two, uh, we talked about this. We live and think like Chaldeans. They were like, ah, no, nah, God, nothing. 
It's not going to work. can't happen. won't work. There's no way it can happen. We sometimes live and think like Chaldeans, but we should live and think like Daniel. When we're in Babylon, we got to live and think like Daniel. Number one, show up. Number two, ask for help. Number three, go for it. Trust God's ability. Number four, do not boast in your ability. Defect, deflect his glory. Number five. Number six, see kingdoms as God does. Beasts. The kingdoms, the governments of the world. We talked about this on the verge of July 4th. I mean, we shot off fireworks and ate brats and had three or four other things. But the truth is, is like, they're all going to be smashed into bits from the kingdom of God. And that's okay. It's a better kingdom anyway. Uh, remember, bring people with you when you're blessed. And so we got chapter one and chapter two, and so now we're gonna go to chapter three. Open your Bibles, chapter three of the book of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was six cubits. So it's either, number one, an elongated disc from the archaeological evidence, much like a mirror or a large, oblique, flat sort of, you know, UFO tipped on its side sort of vibe, or it's actually Nebuchadnezzar himself. First question, where did he get all this gold? I'll tell you how much this gold is in a second, but it's mind-boggling. Ezekiel 17, 7, Ezekiel 7, 19, Jews and their gold would be used for idols. Ezekiel prophesies this, they'll throw their silver into the streets, their gold will be treated as an unclean thing. So where Nebuchadnezzar got this gold, according to the biblical record, and a lot of people with a lot of degrees that study this thing called the Bible, they would argue that this is God's money. This is his treasure. And can I tell you something real quick? This isn't in my message, but you can use God's treasure that he's entrusted you to build idols or to build his kingdom. You can choose to use the things God has entrusted you with, with your cash money, to build idols or something else. We always have a choice to sow, to give, to invest. Second thing I, I wonder about this is not only did, where did Neb get the gold, but why is he doing this? And, and this is sort of my second highlighted point. He's building this idol because I think it's a defiance to God's word. It's something that is nuanced here, but do you remember in Daniel chapter two, the statue had how many parts? Say it with me, the number four had four parts. You guys remember, that's amazing. Um, so it had a head of gold and a bunch of other metals and the metals decrease in value, but they increase arguably some in strength and we're sort of living in the toes, so to speak. And the reality is when you get to that part of the story, you've got a real clear picture of Nebuchadnezzar's dream as Daniel interprets it as a statue with four parts. But what is Nebuchadnezzar's statue now made out of? It's made out of gold, nothing else is in there. And it's almost like God says one thing and, and Nebuchadnezzar does the entire opposite of that thing. If he's gonna make an image of Nebuchadnezzar, why didn't he use the one that David gave or that Daniel gave him in his dream? because there's a defiance to God's word. My first point in this part of the Daniel chapter three, and we're in verse one, is number one, you have selective hearing or you have king's ears. 
We choose to hear what part of God's word we want to hear. When he says something to us through his word, we're like, that's good, Jesus, but that's not for me. You don't know my enemies. You've spoken in your word, but I'm going to overlook that in my heart. I get cornered like this weekly. Pastor Eric, what's your stance or perspective on fill in the blank? As a church, in Jesus, his teachings, the word of God, what's your perspective of fill in the blank as a church? When the question really should be, what are Jesus' teachings? What does the word of God say on issue blank that should shape my stance or perspective as a person or part of this family of God? You see, we have selective hearing. You have king's ears. We all suffer from this. God says something and we read it or he speaks to us through his word or the life of Christ or scripture itself. The Holy Spirit starts stirring something in you and then you're, you're doing your devos one morning and you're like, man, that is convicting to me. The Holy Spirit's dealing with me about that. But then you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm not gonna hear that. Nebuchadnezzar had selective hearing here. There was a very clear picture of the statue and he does exactly the opposite. And this has, done, has been done before, okay? There's this Bible called the Jefferson Bible. One of our founding fathers of this country, he took the Bible like this and then he just started editing it and taking out the things that he wanted to take out. This has been in our ether, if you will, as Americans for a long time. Because if it fits our ideal, if it fits our preference, then it's God's word. But soon as it comes up and it butts up against what we want, we want to be a statue of gold, not iron and, and, and clay. I ain't that. We start to do this in a different way because we got king's ears, we all have. So my question is, have you created your own Jefferson Bible? You might not have your name on it, right? But have you like taken parts of scripture and just said, it's not for me? The gold statue, it's nine by nine feet by 4.5 feet. One cubic foot of gold is 27,000 cubic centimeters, which is approximately 16,670, excuse me, 770 troy ounces of gold, okay? If you don't know what a troy ounce is, it's just a little over an ounce. It goes way back to Athens in a, basically a weighing uh, or, or a measurement of uh, a value of how they weighed um, precious metals. The current spot price for gold is about $2,000 per troy ounce. So a one cubic foot of gold would be roughly worth $4D million. You put all that in, how many cubic feet of gold it would take to make a statue like this, either a disc or Nebuchadnezzar itself, it would be $291 billion worth of gold. That's a lot of money. And that's hard for us to even like put into our brain of how much that money is. You know what five bucks is because Subway used to sell those footlongs for five. <laughs> but when we're talking about billions of dollars, that's like such a, like we get that number thrown out sometimes and it's almost make-believe. So let me help you. It's $3.99 for a Popeye's chicken sandwich. I've used Chick-fil-A here, but 
since they're closed on Sunday, it kind of throws off the numeric value of the math. So there's about 200 people here approximately. And so 364,500,000 chick, Popeye chicken sandwiches you would get. That's how many we could buy, but each one of you would get 364 million Popeye chicken sandwiches. The average lifespan of a human is 85 years, statistically. It's close, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Some of you are living on borrowed time. I'm joking. You know, the, the, all the ladies that are wise in age in this church, they love me and I love them. But the truth is, is the average statistic is about 85 years, right? So that would be 4,288,000 sandwiches per year. You got about 4,471,000 minutes in your life. That means numerically for the amount of gold in this statue, you could get from age zero to age 85, 10 Popeye's chicken sandwiches every minute of every day of your entire life. That's a lot of chicken. Does that help clarify how much gold this is? No? All right. Orange mocha frappuccinos at Starbucks. If you got one, mo no, I'm kidding. It's a lot of gold. He set it up, verse 1, in the plain of Dura, the place of dwelling in the province of Babylon. Uh, Dura is um, the same place that they put the, the uh, Tower of Babel, arguably. And it's this big flat spot and it's like you can see it from wherever you are in Babylon. So the placement of this is not only like located in Babylon, but very specifically in a place where you couldn't miss it. Number two of my point today, that Babylon has visible idols and Christians have hidden idols. Idols are visible in Babylon. We could go through the list. When I'm talking about idols in Babylon, Christians love to point over there and go, see that? They love money. And you don't like it? I mean, let's just be honest. If your boss called you in and be like, hey, I really hate to break it to you, but um, I'm going to have to give you a raise. You're going to be like, oh. This is awful. But we can really point out other idols in Babylon that we see. Success, fame, Gucci. Like we look at stuff and go, oh, that's, that's definitely an idol for Babylon. That's of the world. That's over there. That's their thing. That's definitely a god in their life, little G-O-D. We love to point that out. It's easy to see them too. Let's be honest. They're set up in the plain of Dura. Nobody's hiding it. It's all over the place. You can see babbles and ba or idols in Babylon everywhere. But Christians, Christians, sometimes I think we got to really look within because they're harder to see. They get inside here and we hide them really, really well. Like comfort, control, security. We idolize pastors. Like, like we put them on this pedestal. Not that anybody does that here. That was a joke. Laugh. Relax. The, you know, like sports. 
They become our God. The approval of others, the way things used to be around here, that's an idol. Social influence, the desire and the right to be right. So I'm asking you the question, because sometimes it's easy for us to see the idols in Babylon, but can you ask the Holy Spirit this week, what are the Babylon, what are the idols inside of you that you've hidden? What are the things that you've made into a small G-O-D that the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, I don't really want that in your life. Then Nebuchadnezzar sent and gathered the starasta traps. It's a Persian word, means protector of the realms. He puts everybody together, gets them all along, all the leaders, everybody's there. He gathers them, all the officials of the provinces, gather them for the dedication of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is the first part of chapter three. What you need to understand is the time elapsed between the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three isn't just a flip of a page or moving on to the next paragraph. In our Bible, we read chapter two and we read about Daniel being promoted and King Nebuchadnezzar makes this big decree and he's like, God is the God of gods. He's the man, Daniel's the man, promote him. You can be in charge of everything. He's got this big encounter because Daniel interprets not only the dream, but he tells them the dream and he goes into this whole big speech about how God's amazing. And then chapter three, he starts making an idol. That's because 16 years, 16 years at the end of chapter two is when chapter three starts. It's important to note because what you need to know is my third point today is time will reduce your zeal for fill in the blank. As time goes on and marches forward, it's gonna reduce your zeal for working out. You don't want to know what the number one New Year's resolution is? Working out. Do you know how many people statistically, 48% of them actually want to exercise more? 23% quit within the first week. 36% make it in the first month. Only under 9% of them actually work out more. We, we, we have a great intention out of the gate, but time will reduce your zeal for things. That new pizza place that you went to? What's that place? Uh, David, Colstock, where you, where you work, dude? Pizza pie shop? Italian pie shop on Grand, down by Sheesh. Sheesh. <laughs> so Italian pie shop, amazing pizza. I've been there. It's really, really good. I love when you bring it to church and it's left over after your shift. But... The truth is, is if I ate that shop 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, how interested would I be in that pizza? Probably not, because time reduces my zeal. Do most of the employees eat there? Some. Have you ever had a food job at a restaurant, and then at some point you stop eating at that restaurant? Raise your hand if you've done that, because time will reduce your zeal for fill in the blank. You know, the same is true for a new church. Hear me when I say this. The same is true for a new church or a church that's moving into a new season. Time will reduce your zeal for this. 
Pastor Eric's been here a year and a half, and it's, it's just been a great honeymoon season. But timer would, will reduce your zeal. You know, I heard this from a board member who's got a lot of potential, and he's pretty wise. He said this, Christian party syndrome. People suffer from it. Like, we get in these situations where we're in a church and we start kind of wading into a church. We're like, should I be a part of this family? Should I not? Is that pastor crazy? Is it not? What's going on? I like the music. I kind of miss the donuts because Christian took them away. He's right over there. (laughs) Stop asking me where the donuts are and talk to him about it. He's not even an employee. You can do what you want with him. (laughs) That was awesome. I'm so glad you're here. All right. The point is, I love you, Christian, but the point is, is like you get this new pastor and you're like, oh, wow, look at all these people that are here and, and look at all this stuff that's happening at Summit. And, and then all of a sudden, you know what happens? It's like this party sort of wanes and, and you're like, this isn't cool anymore. This isn't new anymore. It's because we live in a disposable world. Everything's disposable, but people are not disposable. And this Christian party syndrome will keep people church shopping. You'll be here for a while, and then you know what'll happen? You'll be like, yeah, huh, that's cool. Yeah, that's fine. And then we'll have to do something else. With, like, we'll have to up the ante, where all my sermons will have to involve fire. Which today it will. But my point is, is we'll get into that, that whole thing, Right? Can I, can I tell you something, Summit Church, my friends, my family, if you've been here for one month or if you've been here for 55 years, do not let that happen to us. What God is doing, this is taking time. I've been here a year and a half, some of you more, some of you less, but this new thing God is doing at Summit, again, is taking time. Just like before, so don't let time rob you or us of our zeal. There will be a daycare serving our neighborhood that will be ran out of this church, a Christian school that uses our building that we partner with to help kids who are struggling to find an educational path. God is putting that into our time. In time, he's making that happen. A thriving recovery in outreach ministry. It's already starting, by the way. It's called The Gathering. It's coming forth. It will serve men and women who post-treatment and sober living are looking to stay Christ-centered and in community. Feeding programs for foster families are being birthed in this place, and it's going to take time, grace, and unity to use our kitchen for good. We will continue to influence our capital. We will minister to our leaders, to our police departments. We're going there next week to serve them from one to four. You can come with us at Hamlin on Target. I'll be there at one. You go at two. Somebody else go at three. And let's serve the people who serve us. We will serve our teachers, our first, rep- our first responders that we're called to serve. I'm telling you, sowing into leaders and businesses on grand that need hope, not profits, there will be and there is a group of women that's rising up in this body armed with love who are truly grace and truth embodied, working in what it means to be pro-life for life that will be positioned within our family and a mission room behind them, not just to save babies in the womb, but to mend hearts that are 
broken. There will be global missions increased and also local missions and ministries to refugees by people in this room. Young adults who will gather by the hundreds and arguably thousands on a weekly, monthly encounter to encounter God here on our property and holiness in community. It's already happened. I signed the contract. Salt Company is coming this fall and they will be using our building to do this. There will be a Christian counseling center that will be based out of Summit. I can see it in the air and we will see people in our body serving people in this city. I'm meeting with her soon. In this meantime, there will be a reduction of our mortgage to a balance of zero. And then we'll get the right kind of debt. And our air conditioner in the basement in the kids area, it's going to work. There's going to be overflow seating in our upper room, standing room only here for worship. And people will have to disperse into solar powered and energy efficient spaces to hear the word of God preached here at this place. A staff that is paid what they are worth and then some, not just getting by, but getting to a place where God can use them for all of the rest of their ministry. There will be a time when your pastor will be paid what he's worth and then some, give me an amen, and he'll be supported with margin so he doesn't burn out. So he doesn't burn out. He'll have 10, 12, 50, maybe, maybe 48 weeks of vacation. I just put that in there, but we'll talk about it. The flooring is paid for. The carpet is donated. We will have ministry to multiple churches that will meet in their native languages. I met with two of them. They're going to start this fall if we just finish the reno on the third floor. God is waiting on us. He's put the ball on the tee. All we got to do is swing at it together and complete what God is doing in our time. Dance, art, music, creativity flowing from the doors of the city that we love, St. Paul. And if I missed anything, you should write it down because this is proof that God is birthing something in you. And just by me not mentioning it, it stirred the absence of it. And you need to put it out into the world, put it out into the atmosphere, put it in my ears because let's get cooking. You got one shot, there's no do-over. This isn't a test and there isn't a better stinking party God has called you here. Make a great church a better church. You hearing what I'm telling you today? Time will reduce your zeal for fill in the blank. Don't you dare let that happen to us. Your ministry is not to wait for me to ask you to start. It's mine for me to help you continue. No church is perfect, especially 100-year-old ones. Bigger problems, bigger God. But he's perfect. If we stick together long enough, I'm telling you, love, 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 love one another well enough, we will be made perfect in his love and it will change your life, their life, this church, this block and the trajectory of lives for all of eternity. This is his church. We are his people. We have been here for almost a hundred years and we can see God build it again for 200 more. He did it before through misfits like us. What makes you think he can't use a misfit like you on this place, in this dirt, in St. Paul. So build a tribe, come under one banner, be the puzzle, not a piece. Invite others into it, for this is our time. We are on mission. We disciple people in the way of the Christ, not Christianity, not Pentecostalism, not evangelical voting block or religion, not starch, staunch, anti-Bible, anti-Christ, American nationalism. We follow the way of the Christ, which requires obedience, sacrifice, but it also requires time. This church, your church, our church, delivers hope locally and globally. So continue to be champions of this city. We're not a church in the city, but a church for the city. Get that into your heads and sink it into your hearts. 
This is not about you or me. It's about them. It's about him. We are for people because he is for people. Babylon is not the thing to be avoided. We have been sent. It's the very thing to cast light into, salt upon. There's not a war, us versus them. Jesus has already won. I'm not looking for a battle. I'm looking for a victory, and I already got it. I'm working from it, not for it. Are you hearing what I'm telling you today, church? We've got a love long enough, so big enough that the hearts that are cold can be won. And if God can change you over time, God can change Jamal, who slept on our couch, ate our food, whose corner I know. And in his time, that's the work of the Spirit, not the efforts of a church brand. That's where it hurts. That's where God heals. That's what we've been through. So decide today you won't let the past time destroy the present time. This is time delayed, time invested, time over time, time stretched longer than we planned or anticipated. It will take God's time in its perfect time. So commit today. We will not steal. We will not destroy. We will not decay our zeal. For me in this house, we will serve the Lord. This is just a church for you. Then go entertain and be somewhere else. If you are not called here, then find where you are because where you are, you will grow despite what people do or say because time will eat your weak resolve. This will take time to do it. People say, people sent a city impacted for a king with us, through us, with you, through you, at his church. The church that has seen mountains move, a church that will see the summit. Don't you dare give up this time. Don't you dare give up on yourself, on others, on me. Time will increase your zeal in Jesus' name. Now I'm done. That's what I'm talking about. And the herald proclaimed, verse four, O people, when you hear the sound of the Babylon Philharmonic, you are to bow down and worship. And whoever does not worship shall be thrown into the fire furnace. And all the people fell down and worshiped. Notice I want you to pull something out here that he calls people not to obey here, but to worship. Babylon, here's my fourth point, will use the promise of acceptance. You will use the promise of acceptance or threats of persecution. They're used to get you to worship. We live in that time and there will be increasing threats of persecution upon you or, or promises of acceptance for you that if you just simply worship at what we worship at, then we will keep you from feeling the wrath of said furnace. The persecuted church from Christianity Today and Open Door Ministries, 5,600 Christians were killed last year for their faith. That's 15 a day. 2,100 churches were attacked or closed. That's 40 a week. All these numbers are up. 124,000 Christians last year were displaced from their homes, became refugees because of their faith, because they wouldn't worship other gods. And we think getting to church is hard, or we complain because the donuts aren't here, or there's no quote-unquote parking. Get some perspective. Sheesh. You hear what I'm saying? I say that out of love, but get a, get, get a good dose of perspective when you walk in here and like there's a buzz in the sound system or, you know, like, like the coffee wasn't quite right. Like, like really soak it in because we're not persecuted. 
But what we can see, and this is an entire sermon later at a different time, we can easily become a perverted church, a twisted church, where we somehow leech into this idea that there's an us versus them, and yet we, we follow a crucified Savior who renounced violence through the gospel, picked up a guy's ear, rebuking the sword, and he's called the Prince of Peace. Can I just give you a quick news flash that not all American values are Jesus ideas? And I'm gonna speak very clearly and boldly as your pastor, if that were true, then how in the world did this country ever decide to have slaves? And sometimes we just buy this stuff hook, line, and sinker, and we think that's a kingdom value. Babylon will threaten you, it will promise acceptance, if you just worship. Now, worship doesn't always mean obedience to God. You can worship things and be disobedient to God. That's pretty clear, don't you think? But obedience to God will always lead you to worship. Obedience to God will always lead you to worship. And by, Babylon, by the way, doesn't care if you get in line inside. They just care what you do on the outside. Like in this situation, they weren't worried about the condition of their hearts. They were just worried about the appearance of their actions. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey what I've commanded. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Obedience is worship. Worship. You can worship the wrong things and not be obedient to God, but if you worship the living God, that's because you're obedient to Christ and his teachings. It's a prerequisite. So my question is, what will you choose to worship? Who will you choose to obey? Nebuchadnezzar says, therefore a time comes and he says, everybody bow down. There's certain Jews who have, you've appointed over affairs Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these guys aren't going to bow down. He's like, excuse me? Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. You shall have no other gods before me. Naboo, check. You shall not make idols. There's a giant gold statue. Check. Third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Say you are a Jew and live like you're not. Yes, we can talk about using the word Jesus in a, in a context of a slang or an adjective, but we're not talking about swearing here or using foul language to express your point. We're talking about taking on God's name and living as if you are not God's chosen people. So they're already looking at this going, okay, so Exodus 20, we got check, check, check. The first three commandments are being broken here. If we do this, there's no way we can do this. Nebuchadnezzar, he's furious. He rages. He he literally says, you're going to go and worship, or I'm going to chuck you into this fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer this matter. Have you ever, have you ever had silverware drop on, like, your kitchen floor? And it's like, clink, 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 clink. You know what I mean? That's the sound I hear. After this, like, the silverware hit the, everyone dropped what they were eating, and they were like, excuse me? If it, so our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known to you, we will not serve your gods or the golden image that you have set up. 
My question for you today is which do you live? God is God if he does blank. God is God if he does this for my family, this for myself, this for my job, this for the Summit Church, this for fill in the blank. God is God if he does this, or do you live as if they lived? God is God if he does blank, but if not, he's still God. See, I'm challenged in their faith because sometimes I put conditions on him. Number five, Obedience in the face of consequences for you will become the normal Christian life in America. This is, a, this is a statement that I'm making boldly, but obedience in the face of consequences of you following Christ, it will continue to be the normal life in the world we occupy. And the question is, when you get to the crossroads there, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going to have to ask yourself, what will it cost versus what will I gain? What will, will it cost me here versus what do I gain for all eternity there? And we have to navigate these things. And I say, God is still God. And if not, he's still God. Nebuchadnezzar takes them and he chucks them in the, in the fiery furnace. Okay, let me show you something. This is pretty cool. You ready? So this fiery furnace, there's a whole bunch of, uh, I'll get a, see if I can get this little sudsy here. I, do we have insurance? Okay, good. Thanks, Brandon. Keep that hand on, on hand there. Move my Bible here a little bit. So I think Pastor Naomi just told me I just have to do that. Okay, cool, right? So there's a fiery furnace, and everyone did that in Babylon. In fact, Scripture records here in this part of the story that they actually took, uh, and they would go throw heat in it or coal or their fuel, and these guys that were making the furnace even hotter, they even got close, and they died. Like they were sizzling, right? But here's the cool part of what happened. In God's story, they weren't burnt. Huh? You see that? I've been practicing that all week. Want to see that again? No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't think there's anything left. Yep, there's definitely fire left there. Okay, moving on. So they throw them into the fiery furnace, and what happens? Well, you'd know the story. If you don't know the story, these guys that say, God's God, I'm not going to worship, they chuck them into the furnace, and there's three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go into the furnace, and then the people that are watching this, they say, King, I see a fourth person a fourth man unbound walking in the midst of fire and they are not hurt in the appearance. The only way they can really like put any words to this is like the son of the gods. Now, th- there are some debate of who this was. Is this was an angel? Is this a Christ figure? Is this actually Jesus? And 
I think God's progressive revelation of him to us makes it pretty clear of who the fourth was. When I think about separation from God and I think about the four words used for hell that all use different metaphors of fire, I find it so interesting to me that in the hottest furnace up to this point that Jesus is in that place keeping them safe. I actually think it was Christ that came, stepped into that fire. Some people don't, but what's interesting to me is how Scripture says, as it says, the fourth is like a son of the gods. You dig into that word a little bit, you'll just kind of be pushed in that direction that they're trying to interpret this the best they can. Now, what you need to know as I close today is that the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they're never mentioned in the rest of the book. We don't get to come up with them later. Now, I would argue in Zechariah 3, this is just my opinion, Zechariah 3, 6, that the Lord, the angel of the Lord gives this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says, that you'll walk in obedience. You'll walk in obedience. Walk in obedience. You're walking into a fiery furnace out of obedience to God, you're walking in and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here, list in high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you. I think that those associates that are seated there, I would, this is a hunch, I can't necessarily prove it. Some scholars would go to their grave trying to prove it. I think that the associates of Joshua in Zechariah 3 are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think so. I don't know so, but I'd lean there. I find that interesting that they're not mentioned even by name in Zechariah 3, nor are they mentioned in the rest of the book of Daniel. And here's what you need to know. Obedience to God will open the door for others to encounter God. Your obedience to God, they may forget you, but it will open the door for obedience to God for them. Your obedience to God and the threat of persecution and the threat of acceptance and the, the denial of the things that tempt you, that will open up doors for other people. The truth is, you have a role in this. And chapter four, we get a picture of the only chapter in the Bible written by a Gentile king, and he talks about the door that he got to walk through by the obedience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego towards God. And my question for you today is, is when we look at Daniel and we look at this story, my question is, is your continued obedience to God, when it, when it comes at that crossroads, it's not just about your obedience to God. It's about the chapters of, of Scripture in somebody's life. It's, it's about the, the, the novels of God's story that come after for people that will encounter God because of your obedience. And the book of Daniel chapter 4 is what we see in Nebuchadnezzar's life based on Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's obedience. But I'm asking you, who is in your life that when they see your obedience will write their own story with their own encounter?
with the living God. Six things, I guess we talked about for chapter three. We'll pick up chapter four next week. God, I just ask that you would continue to give us the strength to walk boldly in obedience to you. I pray, Lord, that you would illuminate all of this. I pray that you would forgive me for, um, well, just give me grace with people for when I went on that big word that you gave me and I said a naughty word. I pray, Lord, that that would just be something that would galvanize us. Uh, in, in a way, God, that they would realize that none of us are perfect. And we're going to slip up. But God, we just recover together. And we, we walk into the things together in obedience unto you. Pray that you'd galvanize that in us today. That we'd go back to this word that you've spoken to us individually as families. That, that, that when time reduces our zeal, we'd go back to this spot, Lord. This moment on this Sunday, January 16th, we'd go, I remember sitting there, I remember hearing that in my car, I remember listening to that message, and I remember that zeal and that fervor and that, that calling I knew I was supposed to participate in building God's kingdom. Help us to go back to that. Time and time again, God, increase our zeal in Jesus' name as time unfolds in front of us, as we walk in obedience to you together. Jesus' name. Amen. To help you apply the truth found in Scripture, we always like to ask three questions. What did you learn about God? What did you learn about yourself? How are you going to apply what the Holy Spirit is speaking through Scripture to your life? We hope that helps bring clarity for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people of Summit Church. Join us in person sometime as we gather as a church on Summit Avenue, or join us here at our podcast again, or virtually at our online encounter each week. Before you go, though, Pastor Eric is going to give you a special invitation and share just part of his heart for you, the culture, and a little bit about the people of Summit Church. Hey, Pastor Eric Samuel Tim here. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Let me first say, our city of St. Paul is absolutely amazing. I encourage you to explore all the history it has to offer. And you need to know this, Summit Church has been a part of that history along with so many amazing churches. Speaking specifically about the people of Summit, well, we've been gathering here since about 1932. And my hope that this would not just be a rich history, but it would be our forward legacy. History is a thing of the past, but legacy makes way for the future. So where are we going? That's a good question. Our vision is simple, to see all people of St. Paul and beyond living as disciples of Christ, people full of hope, fully known, and actively loving one another, living a spirit-led life. Our mission is also simple, to provide rhythm, location, and opportunity where you can have a life-changing experience with God. Journey within the diversity to do these three things, become disciples of Jesus, to deliver hope, and to champion this city. That is where we are going. That is what we're doing. 
So where are you going? Maybe that's a good question for you. What are your next steps? I would encourage you to join one of our monthly expeditions. The expedition is a simple experience where you can find out more about who you are in Christ, who Summit Church is, what are we doing around here, and how you can play a part. It's less than a two-hour commitment for your whole month. We also feed you some amazing food and even provide childcare. So the question is, where will we go? Maybe we're on a journey following Jesus together. And I got a hunch, we just might not be us without you. We'll see you at the summit where we prepare for life in the valley.